to us about change and why it's not just okay for change to happen, but it's necessary for change to happen. And I'm going to do this in the context of Acts uh, chapter 15, uh, 1 through 11. So if you want to turn to your Bibles and go there. Um, I'm not going to read it just yet, Abby. Um, the other thing uh, that we're going to talk about is how to train your dragon. And so what I'm about to say may or may not make me lose my employment here. Um, <laughs> Bo and Mike might literally pick me up and throw me in the parking lot. You ready? You ready? <laughs> you guys ready? I think that I like How to Train Your Dragon more than I like Star Wars. I I can't help it. It's just I don't know what it is about this particular movie, this story. It's a kids movie. Um, I am. We're all kids, right? Um, we're all children of God. Amen. The the thing about this movie, it, it, I I don't cry very often, but the second iteration of this movie, the second one in the series, will make me cry happy tears, like I'm looking at a newborn baby or something. Like, seriously, this movie really, really is awesome for me, um, and I'm super excited to get to talk about it. Um, and I'll give you a brief synopsis, and because our microphones aren't working awesomely, I can't use the handheld, and now my screen turned off. Come on. Anybody remember my password? Okay. Alright. <laughs> So I'll do a quick little um, sort of uh, synopsis of How to Train a Dragon. Um, so we're, we're set in medieval Iceland, uh, or maybe just some Scandinavian country. I like to think Iceland. Uh, but interestingly enough, they have Scottish accents, which doesn't necessarily fit, but it's okay, because it's awesome. Um, the village where this takes place is called Burke, and it's on an island. Um, and the people are there are described as very rough and stubborn. And like I said, they all have Scottish accents, and the Scottish accents are the best part. There's a particular little part where um, one of the funny characters is talking about trolls, and he says, Trolls exist. They'll steal your songs. But only the left ones. What's with that? It's one of the best lines. <laughs> Burke, uh, Burke is described very early on as a dangerous place to live because it's constantly being attacked by... Dragons! Dragons, yes. The dragons come and... I'm going to walk this way. The dragons come and steal the food and sometimes the people from the island. Uh, the culture in the village when the story starts is one that is completely fixated around these dragons. As you can imagine, um, not just fighting them and protecting their home, but also killing them. The people of this town have developed this pride to be taken when you kill a dragon. Your your social stance is on a higher level when you kill a dragon. 
Our main character is Hiccup. And Abby, I'll have you find the Hiccup slide for me real quick. There's Hiccup. Hiccup is a wimpy little squirt. Uh, he is smaller, weaker, and far more clumsy than all of the other kids. My father and my grandmother are arguing about which screen to look at. It confused me. That's the other thing. So, like, if you can't see me that well, sorry, but you don't need to. To make matters worse, Hiccup is the son of Stoic the Vast. And Stoic is the chief of Burke. So he's the son of the chief, next in line for the throne. I don't know if they really have thrones in Scandinavia. But um, Stoic is this like world-renowned dragon killer. Like he's He's awesome. Um, Hiccup often tries to be like everyone else, tries to be like his father um, and fight dragons, but um, he usually... Oh, go ahead and find a picture of Stoic. I need to see his beard. It's awesome. Yeah. So that's Stoic, and, and, and Hiccup tries to be like him and the other kids, and and he, and he sucks. He sucks at it. Um, he usually ends up doing more harm than good. Um, in one fight, though, uh, he does manage to shoot down a dragon. Uh, not just any dragon, a Night Fury. Uh, the Night Fury are a species of dragon that are completely mysterious, and none of the villagers know where they come from, what they look like, because you can't see them, and they're they are very, very extra dangerous because they like never miss with their fire and stuff. So he shoots down a Night Fury, but of course no one sees him shoot down this Night Fury, and no one believes him because normally he sucks. Um, so he sets off to find this dragon after he shot it down a, over a hillside and stuff. And when he finds it, it's all tangled up in the ropes that he shot it down with. But it is certainly not dead. It's very much alive. This big dramatic scene. And Hiccup prepares himself to kill this dragon to show his father and the rest of the town that he's not a little squirt and that he doesn't suck. And he says, I'm going to kill you, dragon. I'm going to cut out your heart and take it to my father. And just as he's about to do this, he looks down and he sees a kind, gentle, scared soul in this dragon. So instead, he uses a knife to cut the bonds free of the dragon. The dragon in question is named Toothless, and that's Toothless. We find out just shortly after the, the very dramatic scene uh, that Toothless is hysterical and adorable. Um, and Hiccup and Toothless become best friends. Uh, they do everything together, uh, but the problem is, 
he has to, a hiccup has to hide Toothless from the rest of the village. Because the village finds out about Toothless, or his father finds out about Toothless, they will kill Toothless very quickly. Right? And there won't be a trial, they will just kill him. So he has to hide Toothless. Unless something changes. Okay? So our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 15, 1 through 11. I'll go ahead and read it. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. They belonged, so, sorry, some of then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why would you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers could have been able to bear? No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So first of all, I think we can agree that our entire faith and belief system is centered around Jesus' impact on the world and how we are then supposed to reflect that impact and emulate it in our lives, making disciples of all nations. Before this, the Jewish faith was focused primarily on personal relationship with God, which we value and focus on as well. But evangelism wasn't a focus for these guys, for the Pharisees in question in the story. Evangelism is essential to our faith as Christians. I had a conversation with one of you guys this week about how important evangelism is right now. And we talked about some of Billy Graham's written tools for evangelism. 
And can I just say that without Christ, there would be nothing to evangelize, right? We don't evangelize through our own power and our own hearts, right? Without Christ and without surrendering ourselves to Christ and His will, there's nothing to evangelize. We can't. So I think it's important, because we're going to talk a lot about witnessing today. I think it's important to remember that we must humble ourselves enough to rely on Him when we evangelize. Unlike what we believe, before Jesus came and did what He did, a believer in God was born Jewish. And as we just read, if you weren't born Jewish, you had to become circumcised in order to join the church. In other words, this demographic of believers before Jesus were bonded together mostly by their race and cultural choices. And I say choices in quotes because it wasn't necessarily a choice if you were born into a Jewish family. Jedi, you don't have to stand against the wall. Right there. Come on, right there. I want to give you high fives when I walk by. Love you. Christ's death and resurrection changed everything. And we haven't changed everything in the room this morning. Service generally is going with the same flow. But do you feel different today? Good. Because Christ changed everything. Everything is supposed to be different now. In the scripture we just heard, we find our apostles encountering a group of believers that were unwilling to accept that their customs were no longer necessary in order for people to be saved. When Peter stands up and explains that there is no prerequisite needed to believe in Christ and be saved and have a relationship with him, it says in verse 12 that the whole room went silent. We know that this theology is still what we believe in today, but I'm not so sure that we're doing a good job of this. Because like the Pharisees, our whole world has changed, and many of us just want things to be like they were. And that's human nature. Me too. Sometimes I'm like, I just want to go back and be in youth group again, right? We, as humans, we don't like new situations, especially when the previous situation was really working for us. We had a, a really strong period in our church of uh, participation and people coming in on Sunday mornings and young families. Mm, not so much now. That's okay. It's okay, but... We have to be able to embrace that change. 
In the context of the movie, the people of Burke are very afraid to change. And I'll say understandably so, because the dragons are attacking them and killing them. So, okay, like you don't want to make friends with them, I get that, because he came in, ate your grandpa. Um, but there's killings coming from both sides too. So I'm going to have Abby Pig play a clip from the movie. And this is how the people of Burke react when they have a chance for peace with the dragons. Uh oh. And they try to, 
God says, don't do it. The dragon said, okay. <laughs> but then they get toothless. So, again, you guys got to come on Wednesday and watch it because, like, there's music and the dragons are screaming and it's, like, super epic. So, all my screen turned off again and I only have two hands. I got to remember my password again. Technology awesome. Technology's awesome. Okay. So, the, Bur- the people of Burke freak out. Like, freak out, I mean, modern day version of like, or our modern day version would be like pitchforks and, right, like they freak out when they're faced with the opportunity to change and to make peace with the dragons. We're going to come back to that. The world around us has changed completely. I think that we can all agree on that since COVID and other things. It's been changing gradually for years, as it always has, but it does feel now that it's changing faster. And maybe that's because I'm only 20 and I wasn't around to feel the impact of other periods of civil unrest in our nation and world. But I know that I do feel a difference in people and how they communicate and interact with each other before and after COVID. (coughs) And I am kind of in the trenches, so to speak, uh, when it comes to the socio-political battle being raged in our our nation, especially online. I. If anybody remembers my last sermon, I tried real hard not to participate in it, and I encourage Christians to not participate in it. But I do watch it around me, and what I see is a shift towards the church and Christianity being under attack, similar, well, not exactly similarly, but like the, like the people of Burke are under attack from the dragons, Okay. And at times it feels like witnessing to especially young people who are engrossed in the social media culture. People, I would say, like my age and younger, but like some 25-year-olds too. Witnessing to young people feels like a spiritual battle because of the extreme polarization in political ideas and lifestyles in our nation, but the world too. And I am going to talk about politics and social demographics just for a second. And you're going to be like, Morgan, what does this have to do with, like, what we just watched? And hang on. We know right now that people on opposite sides of the aisle are getting along. And online, it's, it's real nasty because you can just say whatever you want behind a computer screen and there's no consequences. But for some reason, Christians are attached to a particular party. Or at least 
Secular culture sees it that way. When you say that you are a Christian, people believe that you are, you know, people probably think you voted a certain way. Not everyone, but a lot of people would think you voted a certain way. When you say that you are Christian, people are afraid that you are homophobic. And the fastest changing development is that when you say you're Christian, and you're talking to someone who is transgender, they will assume that you hate them. And that is the word used, hate. Okay? That's not good. It also hasn't always been true. The polarization of, in, our, in our culture is toxic enough that witnessing the same way we always have will only alienate ourselves from the people we're trying to connect with. There are barriers in between us and them. I have to scroll with my mic hand. I can't talk at the same time. Some of these barriers we've created, and I think that that's true, and some of the barriers they've created, and I think that that's also true. I'll point you to verse 5, where it explains the barriers that the Pharisees wanted to put up between themselves and the Gentiles for the sake of tradition. In verse 5 it says, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. We go on to read that through Christ, these barriers have already been broken down and all the apostles have to do is follow his lead. And we'll go back to that. We see in the movie clip that Hiccup has broken down the barriers between him and Toothless. And when he tries to share that with his culture, then they refuse to change because they can't see past their fear. Hating dragons has, has been a part of their culture for so long that now when you kill one, it gives you a, a higher social placement. Hiccup says, if I kill a dragon, maybe I'll get a girlfriend. The, the decision to refuse peace puts them in a very dangerous position at the end of the movie. But they do get one last chance to change before they're all killed. So how do we break down the barriers between us and culture without changing our theological beliefs. I want to be clear on that. That is important. The good news is that Christ already did all the hard work. He bled and died and rose from the grave so that all of us could be saved, first of all. But second of all, that we could share that love with people of all nations. In verse 7, it says, God 
made a choice. among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. In verse 8 it says, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them. And verse 9 says, he made no distinction between us and them. We are the same. The barriers have already been broken. We just have to live this out by not creating our own. So when someone who is gay asks you if their choice in that is a sin, the answer is yes, but Jesus died for your sins the same way he died for mine. That is our job. Point people to Christ, not trying to change them ourselves. Faith in Christ changes people. And faith in Christ should change us too. I really enjoyed Bo's message two weeks ago about humility because this is essential to being able to change as a church community. When as a church we can say everything we do as a church is for the glory of God and nothing else, then we can begin to let go as we feel led and try things new as we feel led. Similarly, we as individual children of God must be humble and surrender our desires to God so that we can be malleable. I have a few friends from high school, and one that I've known much longer than that, who have decided to change their gender. That, combined with several other changes in their lives, have made it hard for me to relate to them anymore, because I look different, I talk different, and I live differently than they do. But I still have to find a way to witness to them without making them feel like I am trying to save them or fix them. Because I can't. Christ is alone can save people. Christ, thankfully, shows us how to do this. First, we must surrender. We must get the idea out of our heads that our plan is best. God's plan is the only plan that will get us there. We want to pray for people and with people, no matter what walk of life. We want to, once we have surrendered, we want to follow directions and listen for God's counsel because he will, he'll show us. And lastly, we want to love. We want to love on these people. No matter what they look like, talk like, live like, we have to love everyone. 
everyone. Because Christ did so much so that he got up on a cross and he died slowly for eight hours. For the person you're talking to who looks different than you, talks different than you, and lives different than you. He did that for them. He did that for them. Not just us. Think about if there is anyone in your life that you would feel, that you think that they would feel afraid to step in a church because of their lifestyle, no matter what it may be. These people are your dragons. And we are called to, to witness to these people. And we're called to do our part to change the way the church is viewed. And yes, we can only do so much, right? But we can do our part to change the way that the church is viewed. I think that the message of Christ that I have repeated over and over today is lost when people who don't look like us, talk like us, or live like us are talking to us about what we believe. Somehow the message of Christ died for you is lost among the you're doing this, 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 and this wrong. An interesting connection in the movie to evangelism is that we find out that the dragons are being controlled by an evil dragon. <laughs> and their behavior changes when they become free of their sin and not being controlled by the enemy. Christ said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yes, the church is under attack. It is. But they know not what they do. Christ did not come to save us alone. He came for the tax collectors and prostitutes too. He forgives their, he forgives their sins like he forgave yours. So I charge us all to find the dragons in our lives and share Christ's love with them and I charge us as a church to change so that we are able to do this as well. Amen.